I surf on a board that has two board members who seem to be in a romantic relationship but have not shared the news publicly yet. Is there any reason or cause for concern from a governance standpoint? No, I don't think so. Not from a governance standpoint. I mean, other than it's just gross. <laughs> <laughs> just oh, in now, general. Andy. <laughs> Maybe these people have fallen in love and the board brought them together. Oh, where is your <laughs> Over- rom- romantic side? Staring into each other's living rooms during interminable board calls when there's nothing else to think about. Yeah, maybe. Um, yeah, <laughs> no, but from a governance standpoint, I mean, no, absolutely not. Unless the the number of board members is so small that now you've got a, you know, theoretically got a situation where there's a family that runs the nonprofit and you have rules in your bylaws about people not being related to each other in a certain proportion. But, but no, I don't, I don't see any problem with it. Um, it's obviously something you're going to want to, you know, as a, as an executive director, it's something you're going to want to keep an eye on to make sure that you're not, I don't know, making them feel weird, I guess. Well, and this is a, I mean, the person who wrote it, you know, mentioned that it sounds like they're kind of a co-board member and it just makes me wonder if they're asking it, like, are they, are they feeling like there's some sort of appearance of a conflict? I I don't know. Like, I just wish we could ask more questions, but I, I think that, I mean, when you look at from an IRS standpoint, you know, relationships and kind of what's defined as a conflict among board members is IRS really narrowly defines it, right? It's confined to blood relations, marriage, outside business connection. Um, Each of those kind of have underlays and more details tied to them, but those are kind of the broad categories. Um, And so so I think it just goes back to, to wondering you know, I, I'm just curious to know if if the person's concerned about a potential conflict, like the two can't act independently. Um, you know, one, one thing that I don't know if all of our listeners know, but the IRS actually requires that public charities have at least um, 51% of their voting members of the board be unrelated. So it's important, right, that, that I mean, if you think about it, pretend like a nonprofit had seven board members two of whom are married, that balance would be okay. So even that would be acceptable if they were married, right? So let's say this little blossoming relationship turns into marriage. Even that would be okay, theoretically. But if you only had like four directors, four board members attend a board meeting, and then two of those four are related through marriage, you know, it's it's basically sort of in the IRS eyes. It's, you know, that is crossing the line. A quorum hasn't been reached because they're not independent. So so those are things where, like, I just think it's it's interesting to see. Um, it, it, it's like at first glance, you think, oh, we're going to be fine. But organizations that do have those marital relations, I'm actually working with one now where sort of the design of the organization is to have... Um, it, it was really established with a bunch of people who are kind of married couples. It's kind of just the way they've always been doing it. And I'm really curious to know if they know about this. So it may, it may be something to share with them, but, um, I think it's also just being super cognizant of, um, just how does that impact the culture, the dynamic of the board and those kinds of things too. Yeah. Yeah. I I I mean, if, if the number of board, if, if having a two board members in a romantic relationship puts you in the situation where you've got to worry about conflict of interest, you've got other problems. Your board's too small to begin with. 
Um, cause, cause there's, I mean, there, I mean, probably countless boards that have, um, spouses on the board and that's just yeah. how the organizations are set up and it's not a problem unless it's just too small of a number of board members in general. So yeah, I wouldn't be super worried about this. This is, I mean, no, uh, you know, so, <laughs> this so one do doesn't, we, lots of things concern me. This does not. I was going to say do a happy dance because this is not something that you have to lose sleep about it. Yeah, you know me, I'm the first person to say like, oh, the sky is falling. But, yeah, this is fine. <laughs> Nonprofit governance. Nonprofit answers. Nonprofit board. Nonprofit management. Nonprofit marketing. Nonprofit resources. The Alliance for Nevada Nonprofits presents Nonprofit Everything, the podcast about everything nonprofit, with your host Andy Shurek and Stacy Wedding. Welcome everybody to another episode of Nonprofit Everything. I'm Andy Shurek. Here with my fantastic co-host Stacy Wedding, and we're here to answer some nonprofit-related questions for you. We do this every two weeks. The way it works is you send us questions via whatever means you send questions nowadays, um, through wires, through phone lines, through <laughs> bothering us in the grocery store. It doesn't matter as long as they get to us. Um, we will write them down and we will try to answer them. If we can't do it, we'll bring in a guest expert who does usually a much better job than we do. <laughs> which is nice they always to rely do. on that expertise. Yes. They're, exactly. they're actually like, the experts. So we just yeah, pretend to be. Are. We're just, we just talk. We just have a podcast. That's our, yeah. <laughs> that's our authority is yeah. from the fact that we can do a podcast just like anybody else can. <laughs> um, but um, so that's how this works. Go ahead and send us questions. We'll answer them. And um, with that, we'll jump right in. One of your previous episodes inspired me to look at the 990 of an organization that I volunteer for, and I'm also a donor of, albeit not a big one. Their 990 shows that they spend almost nothing on fundraising, and that seems wrong. They have full-time fundraising staff, and they do a big annual gala, so I expected the number to be higher. Is this something I should be worried about? First of all, thanks for listening to previous episodes and coming up with questions after listening to previous yes. episodes. That makes me so happy. It makes me happy. <laughs> I'm literally doing the happy dance. I wish you could see it right now. So I was like, someone actually listens and listened to our previous episode. <laughs> and then came up with a question Woo-hoo! to derive the podcast. You get like Thank gold you. We stars appreciate you. across the board. So, And just for that, we're going to give you the right answer this time. I'm not going <laughs> to tell you it's the wrong answer like what you do sometimes. Um, so... So, yeah. So there's a study. So the the GAO, the Government Accountability Office, and this was like in 1980 something, right? Is a long time ago, did a survey of all of the information that came in via the old school 990 from way back then. And they, they discovered that more than half, like more than 50% of 990s that were turned in um, had zero dollars on the fundraising <laughs> section of the, the um, 990. So half of the nonprofits in 1986 or whenever that was, were doing it wrong. Um, in the meantime, so they've modified the 990 to make it like, there are a couple of more questions that so there's some check boxes that are supposed to remind you that you shouldn't have zeros in the, fa- the fundraising bucket. Um, but you still see a large number of nonprofits have zero in that fundraising bucket. Um, one of the things that that some other studies have shown is that, and these are more recently, that the um, 
if you've got an outside accounting firm doing your 990 for you, or you've got an auditor. So if you get your financial statements auditored, audited, you're much more likely to have accurate information in the fundraising and the fundraising section of the uh, statement of functional expenses portion of the 990. Um, but the challenge is, is there's almost no punishment for doing it wrong. So the IRS, and we've said this before, the IRS doesn't have, like, like nonprofits are such a small fish when it comes to collecting tax revenue. They're really going after people that are doing things completely wrong so that when the fines come in, that the fines are massive. Um, the, the, the theoretical punishment for a nonprofit that's filling out things wrong is people like you, donors and volunteers reading the 990 and going, that can't be right. So if they're doing their 990 wrong, what else are they doing wrong? Maybe I shouldn't be bothered. But the truth is, is that when people make a donation that, and this, this is like the biggest rabbit hole of a question. When people make a donation, they're trying to get a good feeling. Like they're, they're basically paying to feel good about something. And so it's a, not in their best interest a lot of times to do additional research that's going to make them not feel good about it, right? It's like when you go to the when you go to a restaurant and they've got the calories printed on a menu item, you're like, oh, oh I really wanted that, right? And oh. then you see and you're like 1,800 calories. You're like, how is that 1,800 calories? That's it like a full awful. day's worth of food. It is awful. I, <laughs> right? And oh. then you feel bad. And the, the reason you were going to get the double bacon barbecue cheeseburger <laughs> or whatever is because you it, it's going to make you happy. And now getting it, it's going to make you sad. So that information <laughs> has now like – cramped your style. I'm has sorry, but that is a great analogy. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's why they pay us so much to do the podcast. Um, so, so, so that's the exact same position that donors are put in when they're seeking out information. So that's not to say that foundations, grantors, people that are, that are actually have some rigor beyond behind what they're giving you, they will look at those kinds of things. And if they see a zero, that's a red flag. They're like, eh, not this organization. They can't fill out a 990 properly. I know I'll do that. Okay. Um, okay. I need to interject for a minute. Go, Stacey, Andy, go. Because like, I am just, my head's exploding right now. So yes, they will see that it has a zero, but let's talk about the vicious cycle here. Okay. So we know that the majority of nonprofits under report, right? Uh, the yep. fundraising and, and overhead on their tax forms. And we know that, right? There's studies, there's research. There was also a great study by uh, Urban Institute in 2004 and the Center of Philanthropy at Indiana University that basically um, sort of just affirm everything you're saying. But, okay, so so we got the majority that are underreporting uh, these kinds of expenses. But let's talk about where that stems from, okay? Because I do want to give nonprofits a little bit of slack here. Like, we've got funders and donors who have these crazy, unrealistic expectations about overhead and how low your overhead should be, right? And so they reward organizations with the leanest overhead. And so they skew their funding towards, you know, A, programmatic activities, but also organizations that have low overhead. So then... That feeds this cycle, right? This vicious cycle that nonprofits are feeling like this need to kind of conform to get the funding. And so this is where like this question is a great question, but I also am like, gosh, like it is so multifaceted because it's not that nonprofits are bad people. They're caught up in a cycle that's a really dysfunctional cycle. 
Yes. I'm okay. waiting for the solution. Uh, what it, I don't know. Like, I just am on a rant. I'm just so, I just got so wound up when I read this question, right? Like, because, I mean, and thank you to who wrote it. And thank you for yeah. looking at the 990. And you know what? I would probably do the same thing. But then I would have to take a step back and say, okay, like, I don't know. I mean, maybe I need to ask some more questions. I, I think I would feel better if they had back to the original thing, like have a professional, an outside accountant that actually does it. Because I also think sometimes, I mean, let's give the true benefit of the doubt. Maybe it's not mis- someone it didn't intentionally underreport or misreport. Maybe they have a volunteer that's doing this and doesn't know what they're doing. So like, again, this sort of, you know, begs, begs for the need to invest Da 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 da, right? Like overhead, like invest mm-hmm. in that outside accountant who's going to help you put something together that's an accurate reflection. And yes, this larger vicious cycle thing that I'm on the kick about, just I, I don't know. There's no quick solution, but I feel like, and I, you know, I'd be really curious to know your thoughts, Andy. Like, and I know we've touched on this before, but but what about like, I mean, I just I wish we could all own, like just proudly say, yes this is my expenses to run this. And and let me put some narrative because the 990 does have some opportunities where you can actually fill in some of the narrative to help explain if something maybe is larger than it or seems, you know, ex, you know, more than it should be. Like, or it's, it's an opportunity to market just as much like and to share why instead of trying to hide it. And like, maybe then we start having more real conversations with funders and change the paradigm. Is that... What do you think? Crazy? Uh, no, I think that's I, I think that's a, a beautiful dream. Oh, uh, I, I know. That's a beautiful I have dream. a dream. So <laughs> so here's so here we actually have some there's actually some real data that, that explains how bad this problem is. So before GuideStar, which is now candid, before they existed, um, there was no access to 990s without going through the National Center of Charitable Statistics and like asking them to can you please pull these files for me? 990s were effectively hidden. You could get them from nonprofits, but very few people did that back. So in 1997, so so we have data from prior to 1997 where um, looking at a whole bunch of organizations. And then when they first did the first rollout of GuideStar, they didn't include the whole universe of nonprofits because that was too many. They just picked a subset of, I think, 47,000 nonprofits in like 1998. So when you look at the the amount of money that nonprofits got between 1996 and 1998, the, the people that had mandatory reporting from the 990s um, were did not see a downward dip in donations. So that information that was invisible beforehand and then became visible when GuideStar started surfacing it, like did not change anybody's opinion in aggregate of whether or not they were, you know, that that overhead information, that fundraising ratio information didn't change anybody's opinion, which sort of puts more support behind the sense that with the exception of some organizations that, you know, need to learn better, most organiz- most donors are are giving because of the cause and not because of organizational ratios. And so it's almost a problem we shouldn't be super worried about in terms of let's game the system to make it um, make ourselves look better for the 0.001% of donors that are kind of jerks anyway. Um, I would love I, to I, see I, though know, widespread data, data on Like, I love what you're saying yeah. and I'm going to read it, but I guess I would love to really, I, I don't know about you, Andy, and maybe it's just like 
lately I've been around several, so so or A, around several boards and board members who talk about we need to keep our overhead low because that's their perception. So it'd be great to show them some of this data that that it actually may not hurt the nonprofit, right, to do this and to actually, you know, report accurately. Um, not that any board's ever going to admit that it's not you know, reported accurately, but you get what I'm saying. And so mm-hmm. so it's kind of like having these honest conversations because I do think some of this is also driven by board members and people who have the perception that this is an issue. But I also think in reality, there's still, and I, I think there's some communities across the country and it, that are much more progressive and... Um, I don't even know if progressive is the right word, just more educated on the fact. And, you know, Dan Pallotta, when he did his, you know, the way we think about charity is dead wrong. Ted Talk years ago brought up, whether you like Dan or not, like he brought up a lot of good things that made donors go, yeah, like, and, and made board members go, yeah, you know, it is about ultimately the impact. And we have to pay for the systems that are going to create the impact we want to see. And so, so maybe this is just kind of something from the past that we're all still holding on to. But I will say that in my own experience, I'm still running into regularly donors and funders that say, one of my top things I look at is overhead. And I'm just, I'm I'm getting like, then maybe we need to, as, as nonprofits, nonprofits need to figure out a way, how do we shift the conversation away from overhead and more about like getting in touch with, to your point, their feelings, what how they, they want to feel good, feel like they're making a difference. Um, and so maybe it, I think it's kind of incumbent on both parties to take a look and start shifting some things. Yeah. Well, so, so from the nonprofit perspective, I agree. I mean, there's still are people that talk about that, but the one, I mean, in the, the easy rejoinder to someone who comes and says, if you ever have the opportunity, especially it's even better if you're not trying to convince them that you're the people to donate to, if you're talking to them in general, um, one of the easiest ways to convince someone who thinks overhead is important is to remind them that output is not a function of the overhead calculation. When you talk about total revenue for an organization and then you use a division problem to figure out how much of it is overhead or how much of it is administrative and how much of it is fundraising, if that has zero to do with output of the organization, like not even in a technical sense, like there's no variable for output in that equation. And so what they're really complaining about is an accounting fraction, which means nothing. And so, so the, the fact that the output piece is not even involved means you're talking about something that has no value. There's no information in that thing that you're trying to use as your different differentiator between your two organizations or multiple organizations. That's not part of it. So from the, the nonprofit's perspective, we need to start talking about output. You know, and we do. We do all the time. We talk about how many people we serve. We talk about like what the, what the purpose of our organization is and why it exists and why it's so important and make that the focus of it. And if someone's going to talk about overhead ratio, you just have to remind them. Like that has nothing to do with output. Like are we yeah. trying to solve a problem or are we trying to come up with efficient accounting ratios? <laughs> it's a completely different domain. Um, and, and smart people will get that. And I think the people that lean on overhead ratio to make decisions are people who weren't going to give to you. I mean, my opinion, totally. But people weren't going to give to you anyway, or they're just coming up with a convenient excuse to not sound like they're Grinch, right? That they're like, 
I'm still a good person. I'm just cheap (laughs) or whatever it is. That's what they're really saying. I think it's, yeah. And I know this is turning into a bit of a therapy session for me. So thank you for that because (laughs) I know I'm, I'm on a rant and not providing any real uh, solutions. So thank you, Andy, for providing those solutions. I'm very aware of the state, the mental state I'm in. I will also full disclosure though. I am doing right now. I am knee deep and neck deep in um, reviewing grant proposals for one of my funder clients. And one of the things that I keep looking at in these proposals is this overhead percentage, like, you know, that's, that's outlined. And, you know, there's, there's a question on the grant, you know, that talks about, right. Which there, that alone should have been changed. Right. And so if I can try to move the dial on it, I will folks, I promise. But anyways, but I'm looking and I'm I'm seeing things like, oh, 1%, like our administration is 1%. And I'm like, no, like, I'm actually going to mark you less because if you are like 1%, you're, you're either lying through your teeth to me or like, just that's ridiculous, right? Like on a hundred levels, unless I, so anyways, I just, I think I'm just, I'm, I'm hot headed about it right now, just because I, I just want to see to your point, like, how do we change the dialogue? And I think it takes all of us. And I do think, you know, and and I know I'm going to have like nonprofits shooting daggers at me for saying this, but I also think sometimes nonprofits that we're perpetuating the problem because, again, we feel this need to conform to this sort of antiquated thought about overhead, but we're perpetuating a problem by saying this percent of, you know, <laughs> of every dollar, right? is going to like the actual cause. And, and I don't, I don't know if that is healthy messaging. I think that is creating this donor mindset. So, so like, I think we both have to kind of take a look in the mirror, like funders and nonprofits. Um, Yeah. And shift, shift that paradigm. Um, Yeah. As, as long as output is not a component of the overhead ratio, it's a, it's a meaningless ratio, right? It's a completely meaningless ratio. Great. And nonprofits don't, I don't ever want to see your statement of functional expenses shown as a pie chart in your, in your, in your annual report, you know, put in another picture of a kid holding an apple or something, anything else, a puppy, it doesn't matter anything else except for a pie chart that has management in general fundraising and program like shown out in a three color pie chart. Please stop doing that. It's meaningless information. Nobody wants it. And, and especially like the $1 equals what, like, again, it's the exact same thing. Yep. That's not a unit of output. That is just talking about your, your donation efficiency ratio, which is completely meaningless, especially when it's compared across industries. I mean, when you look at just the technical definition of the overhead ratio, if you're going to do it right, you have to have an industry specific factor in it, which means that you can only compare giant food banks to giant food banks that live in the exact same metro area with the same amount of food insecurity, with the same amount of access to wealth. Like that's the only time that a, that a ratio is actually going to be directly comparable. Any other thing, you're, the, the error bars on, on efficiency ratios are so wide, it has no meaning at all, none whatsoever. And so the, you know, I, I get that we have to be fixated on it. I get it that there's pressure from people that are filling out forms to make things look as rosy as possible. I think in this instance, zero is the wrong answer because it means you're doing the math wrong. But also, you know, you know, my, my, what I would want to give the organization that I would want to give to is the one that's honest. The one that's yes. actually doing, understands how the situation works, is providing the numbers accurately 
filling out the form completely. Um, that's, that's how I read 990s. I read 990s and I check it to see like, does this person know how to fill out a 990? That's my question. Yeah. Like the answers in it, the actual ratios and the numbers, I don't really care. It's like, are you, are you a good enough nonprofit? Do you know how to do this job well enough to fill this form out properly is the bar that I'm looking at. Not like, Mm -hmm. is it 0.12 or Mm 0.17? And I do want to do a final because I feel like I've been bagging on, on everybody. So (laughs) I'm sorry, funders. I'm sorry, donors. I'm sorry, nonprofits. And now I'm not that sorry about what I'm going to say about the <laughs> IRS. But so, so nowhere in its definition, and tell me if I'm wrong, Andy, does the IRS, for program management, fundraising expenses, does the IRS actually address how to account for marketing and communications activities? So the other thing I would say is as a result, I see a lot of organizations, they allocate marketing and communications to programs because of this fear that we're talking about, when in most cases, the marketing and communications in, in many, the majority of cases, right, it really is much more about it's, it's marketing to donors. It's trying to get more donors, right? So, so, so the IRS is broken too. So we're not all, we're, we're all in this, you know, we're all a little, a little broken and dysfunctional. You got to, you got to allocate it properly, right? There's not a, a, you know, every, like the executive director's salary goes to, some of it has to go to administration right? because that's part of that running the board meetings is not program. No. And some of it's probably fundraising. So, I mean, you just have to do the allocations properly. And again, this is why we're having a, a, you know, somebody that's an accountant that's working on these things for you can like help you out with that kind of stuff. um, If you don't know how to do it yourself. Spring is in the air, and so are my allergies. But <laughs> yes. did I make you laugh? Did I make you laugh, yes, Andy? Yeah. Yes. You As didn't I'm ex- watching the dust like swirl in the house and the that. pollen. You didn't expect that. Blast at all, off did the you? Trees. So, <laughs> exactly. Anyways, thank you so much for listening to another episode of Nonprofit Everything. We couldn't do this without you, our listeners, who send us the questions, who share this with your friends and colleagues. And, uh, you know, who just give us a thumbs up and give us a good rating from time to time. So thank you for that. We appreciate your love and support. And uh, as always, share the love, not the allergies, and send us a question. Mm